well as Mike could be God's house. And it's really quiet this morning. It's good to be in church. Hey, to everyone joining us at Collingswood, um, good morning. We're glad that you're with us, man. So let's show some love to our Collingswood family. Grateful for you guys, Pastor Kyle and the whole team at Collingswood. Hey, we are in week three. Everybody say week three. Week three of our series or our conversation called Leading the Way. I really believe that as Christians, it's our responsibility to lead the way in, in many areas of life. And I'm always bringing us back as a church family to this passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is a powerful concept. He says, then you will be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? I'm fascinated by this thought that I can actually renew my mind according to the word of God and I can know his will for my life. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to guess. I don't have to question. I can know. I can test and approve God's perfect will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for my life. Today, um, I want to talk about a topic that I really believe, as we've been talking over the last few weeks, we began this series talking about the tension between humility and pride. Remember we talked about that? I shared one of the personal stories in my, in my life that had happened just a few weeks ago. Um, last week, we had the opportunity to unpack the, uh, the topic or the word or the term joy. And today I want to talk to you about gratitude. Everybody say gratitude. Gratitude is, is, so, is, is so interesting to me because, because you can't force someone to have gratitude. It's thankfulness, right? Gratitude, it's thankfulness. It's really hard to force someone to be thankful. Um, I have three children, many of you know this, and some of them are more, are more thankful than others. And, and you don't, and you know this if you have children. Like, there's the one child who never needs to be prompted. You give them anything. Actually, you don't even need to give them anything. Just on a random, they come up and they say, Mommy, Daddy, I love you. Thank you for my bed. And you're thinking to yourself, that's a crappy bed. But, you know, wow, you know, they're just grateful. And then the other, there's other children. I can't say by name. Um, but there are other children who, like, you could do everything for them. They get more than everybody else. And it, moments after they receive something that no one else has, they, they're like, Really? Is that it? Is that all? There's nothing else? Boy, this is terrible. You know what I mean? And you're like, wow. It, when you try to teach someone to be thankful, it's really hard. And what I've come to realize is when, you, when, you, when you're not living a life of gratitude and you don't have thankfulness being demonstrated to people around you, you're really living and walking blind. It's what it really is. If you boil it all down, you're living and walking blind to what has already been done for you. And, and the truth is, we live in a busy world, and there's always things coming up around us. See, this is one of my pet peeves um, or one of my arguments against social media. This is just one of them. It's because, and there's nothing wrong with social media in and of itself. But the potential for what it can produce is a sense of discontentment for what you already have. Have you ever had something and you really love it? And then you go on Pinterest and realize that it's actually what you love is really crappy compared to what other people have? And you're like, oh man, I don't really like it anymore. How'd that happen? 
Sometimes just the awareness of what you don't have causes and breeds within your own spirit a sense of discontentment. And then you know what happens? You're no longer thankful for the thing you have. It's crazy. It's crazy how you can go from one moment of walking in a sense of, of gratitude. You know what I want? I want for my life. I, want, I know for all of us, there's going to be a lot. There is a lot said of us by people, right? Like if you could eavesdrop on a conversation of someone talking about you, what do you want to hear them say, you know? And some of you are a little worried about that. You know, you're like, oh, I, I don't know. I, I'll tell you what, I'd be okay if they said, oh, well, then he does this and he does that. And maybe they're not that great. But it would please my soul if I hear them say, you know what? There's one thing about this person. They're just grateful. They're just thankful people. They're, they're, they're always demonstrating thankfulness to people around them, whether it's a small thing or a big thing. It doesn't matter. They always have this sense of gratitude. It could be a crappy day, but they find something to be grateful for. It's annoying. No, I'm just kidding. But I really think that we should be those people. We should be the people that like always have. Can I just say this too? This is what distinguishes us or sets us apart as people of God is that we don't find this sense of fulfillment or thankfulness from what we receive from the world. See, because the patterns of this world are to say you should, be, you should live with thankfulness because of either what you've worked for or what you've produced in your own strength but see, believers, we can say, no, no, I walk with a spirit of gratitude, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. And see, this is the distinguishing difference is when you recognize what he's already done, you say, God, I don't even know if you need to do anything else. I don't need, because quite frankly, God, you've already done enough. If you realize what he's already done for you and on your behalf, there's that. Can I tell you, I think we are in such, we're in this, um, has anyone told you a joke sometime? It took you like 15 minutes to figure it out. <laughs> and then you finally get, you go, oh. <laughs> I think for many of us, we are in this lag of understanding how good God is. And every time we gather together on Sunday, it's like some of us have that epiphany moment where we go, oh, I see it. I get it. And you know what that produces? When you get a greater revelation of God, a spirit of thankfulness. Spirit of thankfulness. Can I tell you one of the, one of the dead giveaways for me in my journey when, when I started to recognize who God was and who he is and who he will be in my life, I, I started to recognize something drastically changed in my prayer life. Um, I couldn't get through the first like 15 minutes of praying without thanking God for everything. And it was crazy because I remember listening to my children when they would begin to pray. And when they would pray, they'd, they'd start by, God, thank you for dinner. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this chair. Thank you for mom. And I'd be like, <laughs> thank you for dad, you know. And thank you for all this stuff. And they'd just keep going. They'd look around. Thank you for the table, you know. And they'd start saying all these things. I'm like, ugh. Finish up. Thank you for short prayers. You know what I mean? And, and they'd finished praying. And, and I remember it didn't take me long to realize that there's something in the sense of this. There's something in the spirit of a child that just recognizes, man, I'm just grateful for what I have. 
And I think all of us need to just pause in a busy world, in a busy schedule, and all the things that you're trying to accomplish, and all the things you're trying to achieve, and all the problems you're trying to fix, and all the solutions you're trying to find, and all of that stuff that we call life. Can you just pause for a moment and recognize what God has done for you? Can you just pause for a moment and just think to yourself, where would you be without God? What would your life look like? Where would we be without the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the peace of God? Where would we be? Do you know, as we celebrated the 4th of July, as a people um, of this great nation, it was a moment really for us to pause. Always is a moment for us to pause and for us to, to remember See, you can't be grateful unless you remember. And sometimes it's, it's difficult for us to see the significance in walking in gratitude. The only reason you don't see the significance in walking in gratitude is if you do not pause and remember. Because busyness says there's no need to walk in gratitude because I need to get stuff done. And when I get things done, then I can pause and be grateful. Mm. Busyness robs you from a spirit of gratefulness. Robs you from it. It literally robs you from walking and living and breathing in a sense of thankfulness before God. I want to read you this passage found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. And Luke is, um, I love the writings of Luke. Luke is, was a physician um, and he not only penned the Gospel um, of Luke, uh, but he also wrote Acts, the Acts of the Apostles that we know in the New Testament. He is one of the leading authors of the New Testament in context of, uh, of, of quantity, if you would, of the text that we read in the New Testament. And I love the way he articulates stories. And each one has a unique way in which they articulate the stories of Jesus Christ. And, and they're profound. This passage of Scripture is very unique, but I want you to listen to it. You may be familiar with it. It may be the first time you've ever heard it, but I want you to follow along with me this morning. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Here we go. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, I want to pause there for a moment because in order for us to see how fascinating this story is, you need to understand a little context in this. Leprosy, for many of you, you, you may know it to be as sickness, but it was more than just a sickness. This was basically a death sentence. There was no cure during this time, and it was a, it was a horrific disease. And the disease essentially was painful. It was uncomfortable. It was slow. And it was basically a deterioration of your skin and your organs. It was a terrible, horrific thing to experience. Now, the reason these individuals screamed at a distance and called out to Jesus was because if you had leprosy, you essentially were sent out of this, this camp or the group, and you were to live alone. So you essentially lived alone, slowly dying. And not only that, it even said in Leviticus that, listen to what it says in Leviticus 13. It says, as long as you had this infection 
and you remained unclean, he must live alone and live outside of the camp. You weren't allowed to be around anyone. Think of that. In your greatest time of need, you could get no encouragement. And though people may sense or, or, or suggest empathy or show pity to you, they could not be near you. I think the law said a hundred paces distance, no closer. Couldn't get any closer. And so here they were, these men, these individuals had leprosy, and they're yelling out to Jesus, have mercy on us or show us pity. And what I think is so crazy about this, this, this context is that we don't even know really in the picture if Jesus was walking by them, to them, away from them. But we do know that Jesus was within a close enough proximity for them to yell loud enough for him to hear them. And listen to what it says in verse 11. It says, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time in this one particular portion of the text, but it's very significant, the order of the events of how it happened. Jesus is walking by them. He's going from Samaria to Galilee, and there's these 10 lepers, and they're at a distance from Jesus. They are essentially dying. Their skin and their organs are decaying. They have no hope. They have, they have no promise of a future. They have no one near them that loves them or cares for them. They are essentially sent out in this little group to die. That's their life. That's what they have to look forward to. And so Jesus is passing by, and 10 of them see Jesus, and they yell out to him, have pity on us. Jesus sees them, and it doesn't say that he even goes near them. It doesn't say that he responds in any specific way other than this. He says to them, so I, I don't know the mannerisms of Christ in this. I really don't. But we know that text illuminates for us this, this picture and gives us an insight as to what transpired in this moment. So picture these people at a distance, a hundred paces away from you, screaming as loud as they can, have mercy on us, show us pity. And Jesus looks at them and listen to what the text says again. He says, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. Did you pick that up? It doesn't say that he healed them. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. Why did they need to go to the priest? Because in order for them to join society again, they needed to be, they needed to be acknowledged by the priest that they're clean. No longer sick. Leprosy is gone. Completely healed. So Jesus simply says to them, go to the priest. And the text says, as they were going, they were cleansed. I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I've come to understand some things about God. That he, he, when He speaks, things are created. There's power in the expression of His words. And, and when He says, go and show yourself, one of the most fascinating things is the response of all ten. No one says a thing. Now, I can only imagine that the leprosy would literally eat your skin away to see so your flesh was exposed on their bodies, their faces. And I can imagine him saying, go and show yourselves to the priest, and they're looking at the leprosy, thinking to themselves, well, it's not gone yet. 
but he said go. And so they all go. And can you just imagine, as you're walking to the priests, <laughs> this is crazy, as you're walking towards the priests, you're seeing skin come back to your body. And your organs are being healed as you're moving. And I just wonder, like, what would happen if they stopped? They kept walking. And as they went to the priest, it says they were clean. It's this act of faith and obedience that, that thrusts or is the catalyst to their healing. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how God communicates to you, but I can tell you how he communicates to me. He doesn't ask often my opinion of the things he asks me to do. <laughs> hey, I'm going to just say, what do you think about going to the priest? Now, you're not, you're not allowed to go there yet because you're not clean. But as you go, the moment you walk into the presence of the priest, you will be completely healed. But it will be something that happens from the moment you act and obey to the time you get to the presence of the priest. <laughs> See, I just think there's a lot in that for us to just know, keep walking in obedience before God. Keep trusting God. Keep living a life filled with faith. Keep believing that God is leading you to a life of abundance and promise and healing. And keep walking. And though you can see the leprosy still existing, it's dissipating as you're walking in obedience before God. There's something in that, isn't there? There's something powerful in it. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went. I love that. We have a, we have a core value. Made to move. Made to move. And I love it because it's orchestrated in this. As they went, they were cleansed. It's not like as they stood there contemplating the theology of whether or not they could be healed. No, they went. They believed and they acted in obedience and followed after the commands of Jesus. And as they went, they were cleansed. But the most significant thing of this story happens in verse 15. This is what it says. One of them. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And it's interesting to denote that Luke finds it imperative to remind the reader that he was a Samaritan. Now, pause for one moment. Jews and Samaritans could not associate with one another. Samaritans were viewed as half-breeds. When the 12 tribes of Israel were kind of separ separated, the 10 tribes intermingled with people who God commanded them not to, and so the, the other two tribes viewed those individuals as half-breed or mixed-blood individuals, and they were referred to as Samaritan people. Jews were not allowed to associate with them, but it's interesting because those who were living with leprosy didn't care if they were with Samaritans or with Jews. But Jesus notices, and Luke records, that one of the ten returns. And it just so happens to be the, Sam the Samaritan. And he returns, and he doesn't just return, but he returns, and he came back. He was so overwhelmed with gratitude. 
so overwhelmed with gratitude that he ran back, he praised Jesus, he thanked him in a loud voice, and despite everything that was going on, despite the fact that he knew as a Samaritan he could not even be in the presence of a Jew, he made a way to, and intentionally decided in his spirit, I'm going back because I'm thankful. I'm just a thankful person. And I'm filled with gratitude, and so I'm coming back to the place of Jesus. In verse 17, Jesus asks, we're not all ten cleansed. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise God except for this foreigner? He said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Another translation would say, not that his faith had made him well, or that his faith had saved him. <laughs> and there's something, there's something so significant in this, because, like, let's put it out in, in this fashion, because it's easy to relate to. Have, has anyone in your life ever done something nice for you? Maybe it, people don't do nice things for you frequently. But maybe they do, you just don't see it. You've seen it as common, and the moment you start to see things as common, you become unappreciative of people's sacrifice, just an FYI. But just sometimes common and ordinary things um, are not received or seen with honor. And when you don't see things with honor, then it's hard to be grateful for them. And it's the simple things in, in life um, with your spouse and with your family, with your friends, with your boss and your colleagues and all of those things. But have you ever had someone show appreciation to you or do something for you and you just forgot to say thank you? Just forgot to say thank you and just forgot to write that card or send a text or give the phone call, whatever it is, you would say, yes, all of us are in the same boat with that. Of course we forget at times to, to show our appreciation, to show that we're thankful. But I can tell you something, there's nothing, there's something in your soul as a father when your child just says, hey, dad, hey, mom, thank you. Thank you. I'm grateful for you. Grateful for what you did. I'm grateful for what what you provided, whatever it is, there's something in you that fills it. Can I tell you something? I think as we go through life, the busyness of life robs us from realizing how grateful we should be to our Heavenly Father on a daily basis of everything He's already done for us before we even knew Him. God demonstrated His love that while we were yet still sinners, before we even knew who Christ was, He was working on our behalf. <laughs> Before you even had a chance to be thankful, he was already working for you. And then the moment you become aware of who he is in your life, that's the moment where you become overwhelmed with gratitude and thanksgiving. Don't ever take grace for granted. Don't ever take God for granted. Don't ever take the mercy and the peace and the love that comes from God for granted. You want to know how you can tell if you're taking it for granted? You're no longer grateful. Everything for God is, in, is, is extra and over and above. God, I'm in church again, doing what I can for you, God. <laughs> going to give something to the offering. God, I'm going to serve. I, I'm busy, God, but I'm going to make time for you. You know, all these other things, I don't know what it was. I, I'll say this. Let me say it this way. I can guarantee you that if you went to the nine other individuals that were cleansed from leprosy, you said to them, are you grateful for what Jesus did? Oh, yeah. Of course. I was living a death sentence. My skin and my organs were deteriorating. I, couldn't, I was alone. I was separated from my family, from my wife, from my kids, from everyone. What do you mean am I grateful? 
Well, did you tell them? Did you show them? Did you respond in any way that showed you were grateful? I, I, heard, I heard someone say this one time, as it being pure speculation, but just as a, as a write-up to connect with our distractions, the distractions in our humanity. The first one would reply, I was waiting to see if the cure was real, and it lasted. The second waited to see if it would last and wouldn't dissipate. The third decided he would probably never really, that he never really had leprosy to begin with. He just contracted something else. And the fourth planned to go back later and thank Jesus, but I just never got around to it. It was too busy. The fifth waited until the priest pronounced him clean and then gave his thanks to the priest, which he thought was sufficient. The sixth took credit himself. After all, it was his own faith and action that made him well, wasn't it? And the seventh thought that Jesus probably already knew in his spirit that he was thankful and that he had a sense of gratitude towards him, so there was no need in going back and telling him. And then the eighth figured that he would have recovered anyway over time. I mean, there is a small chance that he could have recovered and without encountering Jesus. And then the ninth followed Jesus' instruction exactly. And he said to himself, Jesus never instructed me to return to him and say thank you. <laughs> I don't know, but how do you show gratitude? Don't think in the immediacy of your, of your life. I'm learning when it comes to things like this, if you, if you ask yourself the question, how do I show gratitude to my spouse or my children or my boss, it, it, it's never founded in the proper motivation. You need to begin by asking, you the, asking the question, how do I show gratitude to God? Because it's out of understanding how you receive and where that motivation truly is birthed from, which will enable and empower you to show true thankfulness and gratitude to the people that are around you. But when you ask yourself, how do you show gratitude and thankfulness to the people around you without asking yourself, how do you show gratitude to the one who gave you those blessings? The order is not appropriate. And so for me, I'm asking you this morning as I ask myself, how do you show gratitude to God? Do you find yourself agreeing with one of the nine and their excuses in the busyness of life? I remind myself often that I will stand in the presence of God someday to give an account. And I don't say that to myself to guilt myself into doing things. I don't say that to myself to make myself feel bad because I didn't read 14 chapters that morning in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I don't say that to myself to make myself feel better than other people. But I say that to myself to remind myself, recall the goodness of God. Recall all that he has done for you. Recall all that He is doing for you and all that He will do for you. And if you can live in that moment, do you recall the story when Jesus healed the man who was lying on his mat for decades and when He healed him, He instructed him to take the mat with you, pick it up and take it with you. You ask yourself the question, why would He tell him to do something like that? It was as if Christ wanted him never to forget what I did for you. 
When you recall the goodness of God, there's something in your soul that just overflows with thankfulness and overflows with gratitude. And can I tell you, when Christ is the source of of gratitude and thankfulness, no one needs to earn it in your life. We live in a society today where it's like, well, they didn't do nothing for me. I don't know them. Why do I need to show them that? They didn't do this. They didn't do that. Man, if if we knew what Christ has already done for us, we would overflow with love to other people. Why? Because we have the strength to love? No, because he first loved us. And out of our understanding of his love towards us, we're able to love other people. I'm telling you, everything that comes out of us must first be produced within us. God is the divine initiator of all things, of all things. Of all things, because if he is not, you are. You are. If God is not the initiator and the source of all things, guess who is the person that, that, that produces a spirit of gratitude? You do. Well, I'm just grateful for what I accomplished there. That looks great. <laughs> and then you chase your tail trying to accomplish in this race so that you can live with the spirit of thankfulness. But the truth is, it'll never hold up to the things of significance of what Christ has already done for you on the cross. I want to close by reading this passage in Luke. Luke chapter 7. You still with me? Okay, listen, Luke chapter 7, we're going to finish up with this passage, then we're going to close and we're going to pray. And some of you are going to get right with Jesus, and you're going to connect with Jesus. You're going to give your life to Jesus, and today is going to be your new day to start with Jesus. And, and I just want, as a church, every time we gather together, I want us to be aware of this, and um, that, that when we gather together, Christ is always meeting people where they are. And just be mindful of that when you come to church. And, and I don't know why I'm saying this. Some of you need to hear this. That people are always at a different season. Always at a different season. Some are self-righteous. Some are self-loathing. Some are insecure. Some are prideful. Some are dealing with false humility. Some are lost. Some are broken. Some are in good seasons. Some are in bad seasons. But Christ meets us right where we are. He has the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to meet us right where we are. And so what we do when we gather gather together is recognize that Christ wants to renew our mind so that we can be transformed. But in the same process, he's meeting people who are broken and far from him so that they can begin a journey with him in his house every Sunday. Amen? Let me read this passage found in Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And while the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, speaking of Jesus, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, and he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. To tell me, teacher, he said, two people owned, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? He says, I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears 
and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can I tell you something? Love, when received from Christ, is given back in appreciation to what you've already received. I don't serve and honor God in an attempt to earn His love. I serve and honor God because He has already given it, and I'm the recipient of it. And some of you need to know that you don't strive to earn God's love. He's going to give it freely to you. But when you receive it, may it produce something in you. May you recognize as a recipient of His love that, that we don't deserve it, that we couldn't earn it, that we can't do those things. In all of this all of these parables in the Gospel of Luke, we see this significant theme that to those who received the love of Jesus, the response was profound. And it was connected almost into a way of him saying, your sins are forgiven, or in a way that they were saved. Salvation was connected to their understanding of what they've already received. And how, do we un how does one understand what they received, according to the, to the text we read? In their reactions back to God. How grateful are you to God? And I don't, I don't know how to articulate this in any other way, but what I am saying is that when you receive the goodness of God, there has to be a reaction from what you receive in a sense of thankfulness to God. I want to pray for some of you today. I know some of you, maybe the first time in church, maybe the first time back in, in years, and maybe you've never been in a church service before. I don't know, but I know every single Sunday that we gather together as a family that there are people present who are not walking with Jesus. They're not in a personal relationship with Him. So before we close today, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you. And I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So. The Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen.
Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody, whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you, find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.